0: been studying for this message today, I came across some scriptures and I alluded to that in my prayer that really just, my heart ached. I had a lot of emotions. My heart ached. I actually felt fear. We have a scripture that we read earlier, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. We have a God who's as holy today. As he was when he called the nation of Israel to be his people and made a covenant with them that if they would keep it, he would bless them. If they did not keep it and they committed idolatry and worshipped other idols, that he would be, he would bring judgment. And you can't read the scriptures without concluding, coming to the conclusion that God has always desired a people who would be like him, who would choose, who would say, I want to uh, magnify, glorify, love, adore my creator. And a God who would, who would say, these are my people, and I am their God. You see that message from Genesis really all the way through to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation tells us toward the end that God will call out of every nation and every tribe and every tongue a people. Who would be his? And as we examine Romans 13 a little bit today, we're going to ask a question. And I don't know if you've ever asked this question. I don't know that I've ever really asked this question. But I ask a question today. Why does God create governments and nations and kingdoms? And how does he use them? Now, when I ask a question like that, you might be thinking... Well, does the Bible say that God creates nations? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 18. We'll see this again a little bit later, but I just want to uh, Jer- Jeremiah 18:5 through10, so that we can see this, that just to get the idea that God does raise up nations. In Jeremiah 18, verses 5 through 10. You'll want to keep your finger here. We'll come back here. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And we, we've I've often heard many sermons preached that, you know, God, ha- God is so powerful and so amazing that. You know, just as a potter finds a mar and a lump of clay, he can take that clay off the wheel, remove the, the mar and remake the pot again. I mean, God is so amazing, he can forgive, he can restore. And I've always heard this passage preached in that context, and certainly that's the image that's given here. But if you keep reading, it says it goes on to say, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck down, to pull up? And to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it. If it do evil in my sight that obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. who's in control of the rising and falling of empires? God. So then we ask ourselves, well, why? <laughs> kind of gets into how does God use these empires and, and nations and, 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 and why and for what purpose? And... Because those are important questions for me to know how to engage with my government. In order for me to understand my government and kind of where it comes from and, and what the purposes are, I kind of need to know what's God's relationship to government. Now, in my prayer, I I alluded to the fact that we elect, we get the privilege of going on Tuesday and voting for, hopefully voting biblically and voting for God, as we've already encouraged you to do, that you go and you vote for those individuals that God impresses upon you to vote for, who line up with God and his word. But ultimately, this passage tells us that the, and the Romans passage we're going to go back to, keep your finger there in Romans, or in Jeremiah, and flip back to Romans 13. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, that doesn't absolve us of responsibility. Oh, you know what? <laughs> we're going to have whoever God wants, so I'm just not going to participate. You don't find that response in the Bible. So, we're today we're going to kind of look at how does God use governments, and then how... How did, the, how did Bible characters, especially in the New Testament, respond to their government? And can we learn anything from that to help us know what God would do or want his people to do? So as I studied this, I, I found some, some, some I, I think, some pretty engaging thoughts. Romans chapter number 13. When we get to the yellow words, would you read those with me? Uh, Romans chapter number 13, when we get to the yellow words, read those with me. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Whoa, (laughs) that's some pretty powerful words. Let that just resonate a little bit with you. The powers that be are ordained of God. If I resist the powers, who am I resisting? God. Hmm. You say, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, there's some balancing truth in the Bible to this. And you're right. Remember the story of Peter and John. They went before the leaders, the rulers of their day. And they commanded them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. We dealt with this before in another week. Their response was whether it seemed right to you to obey God or not, you choose, <laughs> we're obeying God. So basically what their response in that situation was, you, you decide what you're going to do to us, and you decide whether or not it's right for us to obey God or you. But Our choice is to obey God. Now you do what you need to do. That takes a little bit of boldness, doesn't it? I mean, Peter and John were putting everything on the line. You realize that, right? They could have taken him, thrown him in prison. They could have have crucified him like they did Jesus. There's a lot of things they could have done. But God wasn't finished with them yet. And so we know the story. They were let go. Another time they were uh, set free from the prison by the angel of the Lord. Came in, shook shook the prison. They, They left, you know. So... I want us, first of all, in this passage, to just highlight some things, some, some purposes that God gives for government. And so you, can, you, may, you might jot these down. Why does God create nations, kingdoms, governments? How does he use them? In this passage, to bring order to society. And remember, God's consistent, isn't he? He gives us order and structure, and order and, and structure for the home, Ephesians chapter number 5. 1 Peter, uh, several other passages. You know, you've got the husbands and the wives and the roles for children. God gives order and structure. God gives order to society by creating governments. It's God who allows kings and kingdoms to rise and rule. He offered Israel a theocracy. They rejected it and preferred a king. And God told them, it's going to happen if you get a king. And exactly what God said would happen, happened. But God allowed there to be kings. We apply that same idea to our concept, and we say, we, well, we've got a Republican form of government. By the way, it is a republic. It's not a democratic form of government. Study your, study your government history. We have elected leaders who rule from the House of Representatives and the Senate. That's a Republican form of government. It's a republic. Democratic form would be, we just have, you know, the masses making... Decisions. You know, everybody gets a vote and we just, we don't have, you know, so it's different. I don't want to get into a, a civil lesson here today. But it's to bring order to society. Well, you can see what kind of order we're talking about when we look at, look at verses 3 and 4. We read 1 and 2. If we go down and look at verses 3 and 4, we see, For rulers are not a terror to good works. Now, do we, do we understand that bad rulers can be? Right? But in God's purpose for giving government, and Paul is writing to the Roman believers here, Uh, By the way, they had some pretty tough rulers at the time. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute upon him that doeth evil. So God takes a wicked nation, Assyria, Babylon, Judges his people with these people. His people had rejected him. So we have example after example in the Bible of God allowing a nation, we would say, well, that's a pagan nation. But they were a minister of God for good to his people. God allowed somebody to come and oppress his people for their good. For their good. He wanted his people to come back him. He scattered them all over. Why? For their good. We would say, but well, they're, 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 they're wicked nations. They don't, believe, they don't believe in the God of the Bible. I mean, they, they worship all these horrible gods, and yet, and yet God still judges them, too. He brings another nation to take out the Babylonian nation, and he brings another nation uh, to, to take out that kingdom. And, and God is consistently, on a corporate level, judging nations. Has it ever occurred to you? that we're a nation just like those nations. You might say, well, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. We were founded on Christian principles. In a moment, God could take this all away. And we could find ourselves in a land with a leader much like some of those who committed the greatest atrocities of the 20th century. I mean, we're hearing things about a civil police force. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, we have a president who tied, I can't remember how many millions, Jason, you could probably tell me, a bunch of millions of dollars in school aid, but schools and colleges can only use that if they refuse to rent to religious entities. So Glastonbury School District would get none of that grant because we rent this building. He signed that as an executive order, tying aid to the rejection of, well, just reject it all, religion. And the Bible has some stern words about nations that forget God and i i read the bible and i i read what god raises up one nation especially if we if we're going to claim we're christians and this is our nation and, and we want to we want to we want to look to those founding fathers and, and to their faith and to the christian principles upon which this nation is built and we want to preserve that i've got news for myself one way that god may have may 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 just answer that desire and that prayer is by bringing oppression so that his people reevaluate and reprioritize their lives. See, in this passage, God uses, and Paul says, God uses governments to hold those citizens accountable for their actions and their choices, it, 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 to judge wrong, reward good, and give out justice. God can use a dictator to bring justice on someone else. It's, it's, there's evidence, we don't have time to examine all of the evidence, all throughout Scripture, of God doing that. And we see that in this passage in verses 5 and 6. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath's sake, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this thing. Actually, we go back to verse 4. You see, he's a, a, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that do evil. God uses. It's not that God's looking for a people who are righteous and holy to use to judge some, his people who have wandered away. He will use any nation, and that's evident in the Bible. If you go back and study Israel's history, you go back and study the minor prophets and the different nations that God judged, it wasn't just Israel. God judged nations of the world in some of those minor prophet books, if you take time to read them, to minister. In verse 7. Or verse 6, I'm sorry. For this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers. They're servants of God. Willingly or unwillingly, they're servants. Governments, nations, they are servants of God. Now, It really took me a while to get my mind around this. Is it possible that God would allow an Iran to grow so powerful that it could be used as judgment on a nation that claims God on one hand and holds up policies on the other that deny that very God? Is it possible if you look at the word of God, it is, it is definitely possible. That's why I felt a little fear when I was studying this passage and I began to go through some cross-references through psalms of, about nations and, and who's blessed and who's not and who's judged and who's not. To minister. That, these, are, these are what God and how God uses nations. Nations. Go back with me to Jeremiah if you still have your finger in there and flip back to there. <clears throat> Psalm 33.12, I mentioned there were a couple of passages that um, give us some, some observations by the psalmist. Psalm, Psalm 33.12, you might jot that reference down. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed. They'll have favor upon them. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. You know, some, I, 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 sometimes we have a tendency to look at people who are oppressed and say they're not blessed. If you talk to some Chinese Christians, I had an opportunity to talk to Ted Lin a couple of weeks ago. He would tell you that those Christians in China meeting in the underground, underground churches, whose pastors have been imprisoned sometimes for up to two years in concentration camps and other things like that, that they consider themselves blessed. Because every day they literally put their lives on the line for the cause of Christ. They meet in parks. They meet in dark buildings with candlelight. I mean, he told me story after story. Stories we don't hear in our media. Today. And those people, man, they consider themselves blessed. They will walk miles. They'll take the subway station for miles. They will meet all over the place, changing every week. (laughs) We change a little bit, don't we? (laughs) But it's not because of oppression. Sometimes we think, well, you know, that persecution would be horrible. But sometimes God uses it as a refining fire to purify his people. You know, if there were something today that we could do to avoid that, wouldn't you want to do that, though? Wouldn't you want to say, listen, you know what, God, what can I do? So that our nation doesn't have to be judged, because it will be. It will be judged. We aren't going to get away with policies that are anti God. We're going to be judged for that. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Consider this psalm, Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell that that Sheol, and all the nations that forget God. There might be a little bit of false sense of security if we think about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we had the angel of the Lord and uh, the, the, two, the, two rep- the two messengers sent from God to Abraham. And Abraham has this debate, and he gets down to, if, if there's just ten righteous persons, God, will you spare the whole Sodom and Gomorrah area? And those, those messengers say they'll, they'll spare it. But they go to Sodom, and they find Lot, his wife, and his two daughters only four you would think they would have influenced six people and i asked myself this question i mean god knows his reasons and i can't know all of the mind of god but did sodom get judged because their wickedness was so great or because the people who named gods, who named God and knew God, didn't do what God would have wanted them to do. Didn't they have a? Didn't Lot have a small part in that judgment? We only needed to influence six people. We have to take our role. <laughs> I haven't gotten into our response. Yet. But don't you think we have to take our role as people who name the name of Christ seriously when he says go and go and witness and go and tell. Listen, the fruit is up to God, but if we're not sowing any seed, and we're not involved in that in any way, how can we say I'm doing what I can so that my nation is blessed of God? if I'm not doing what at least I've been commanded to do in some way, then I'm contributing to the pending doom and judgment of my nation. I am culpable in bringing that judgment. This is is what God impressed upon me. I am culpable in bringing down that judgment upon my nation if I don't do what God tells me. To do. So I want to know. What can I do? Because if we look at this, we say, Does this apply to us? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent. Now that turn from their evils our repentance idea. The the repent here is relent. I will stop from the plan I have to judge. That evil's disaster, they're not wickedness or sin. That I thought to do unto them. See if 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 believers this is this is in the context of Israel under the context of God's people if God's people will turn from their evil we have another verse second chronicles 7:14 uh that has this same idea if my people who know my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land it's us it's me I have a part. So it applies to me. Maybe you can find a way. So it doesn't. But I'd be hard-pressed for you to prove to me from the Bible that you don't have a role in the blessing or cursing of your nation. How does the Bible teach me to engage with government? If we continue in this passage in Romans chapter number 13... We have in verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We have to understand something here. What's the context of, going, of what's going on? When Paul writes to the Romans, and Paul writes to Timothy, and Peter writes his books, and Jude writes his book, they're not exactly in a time with a government that's very friendly toward Christianity, are they? I mean, we're talking about, you know, 50, 60 years from the crucifixion of Jesus. We've got Nero and other emperors who rule in Rome who persecute and fund the persecution and destruction of followers of the way. So we can't sit here and say, well, you know, it was easy for them, you know, I mean, they had, you know. No, in fact, three or four times throughout the Bible, um, the word of God tells three times, don't speak evil of dignitaries. Or people who are in positions of authority. 1 Timothy 6.1, give honor so that God's name is not blasphemed. Give honor. Uh, In 2 Peter uh, 2.10, the the idea of not despising government. The words despise government are in there. Don't do that. Or speak evil of dignities. Jude verse 8, speaking evil of dignities. That's not in a good context. We're, We're told not to do that. So, so what do we do to engage? Well, we find that Paul is instructing the Romans and to, to pay their taxes. I don't like that. But that's what they did. Paul instructed them, pay your taxes, give your tributes, pay your customs, so they can do their job. This is in the, What's the job of the, of the government? To you know, be God's ministers, to execute wrath, to, to punish evil and to reward good. You know, those are all the things they got to do. It takes money to do that. And so we got to pay our taxes. When you say, Pastor, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking we're getting close to that tea party thing. You know, in Boston, you remember? It's time to overthrow it. We're too oppressed with taxes. One big difference, though, is they had taxation without representation. We still have representation. And in this state, specifically, we continue as a people, to elect people who go to public office who continue to raise taxes. So we got to get out there and start talking to people. So paying taxes, I don't like it, you don't like it, but the Word of God tells us to do it. Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Giving honor and respect to rulers as citizens. Respecting the office. I gotta tell you, I'm very disappointed in what I get on Facebook from Christians in regard to their opinion of our president. There's no excuse for name calling, being unkind, being wicked. When the Bible tells us to be respectful. The Bible even takes it further and tells us to love them. Loving rulers as our neighbor. Now, some of us are so inside, maybe, maybe you just cannot stand the policies. And sometimes it, creep, it gets so much a part of us that we get so bitter if our president walked on one side of the road, we walk on the other. The Bible says, if you look back at verse number 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Hey, in this context of government and the purpose for government and all that, we're told to love them. We're we're told Paul is drawing us back to that great commandment, that second commandment. Love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Your government officials are your neighbors. If I asked you what is one thing you have done for one elected official other than vote for them at the polls? Could you name one thing you've done? Express love. Have you sent a card? Have you sent an email? All the email addresses from all the town officials in Glastonbury are public. Ever said, I'm praying for you? We won't have a leg to stand on if God were to come right in this room right now and ask us how we're doing with Romans 13 and our response to government and whether or not he should judge our nation based on our response to to our government. If we have no relationship with them. Except to check a box on voting day. Pray for them. Look at me at 1 Timothy chapter number 2. By the way, if you think I'm being hard today, I'm not just being hard on you, I'm being hard on myself. Because i got to tell you, there's a whole lot more I could do to express love There's a whole lot of commandments in this passage that I need to improve on. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2, we have a very interesting passage. I exhort, therefore, verse 1, that, first of all, supplications. Supplication is kind of a prayer where we recognize our insufficiency. I'm coming to you, God, because I just got to have you. I need you to get involved. So a supplication expresses an insufficiency. Prayers, that kind of expresses dependence. When I bow and I pray, it's kind of like I'm saying, God, I'm dependent on you. I'm insufficient. I need to, I'm supplicating because I'm insufficient and I need to depend on you. We get prayer, that kind of concept. Intercession, praying on behalf of others. So I I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So you think Paul could just stop there, right? But he doesn't. He says, in case you miss it, especially for kings and for all that are in authority. So if I asked you if you've expressed love in any way toward, toward your government officials in your town or, or your state elected officials or your federally elected officials, have you in any way expressed, I care about you as a person? If I asked you if you've said one prayer that God would work in their hearts and lives and you named them by name, could you say, Pastor, I've prayed? I mean, there's, there's, there's not a heart about this. Nobody's going to read this passage and come to a different conclusion other than I'm supposed to pray for those who are in authority over me. The question is, have we obeyed God? See, I I came under conviction. I thought, you know, God's just in judging and judging me simply because I haven't obeyed what would be easy to do. See, it's not about happen to find five hours in your day if you're already having devotions and praying it's simply saying i got to add an item here i've got to pray for my elected officials i've got to get engaged i've got to express love while i'm writing a christmas card i can send one to them too i can think about them see what has happened i think is we've got this idea of separation of church and state and it's creeped into the church in a way it was never intended The idea is that we're totally separate. We've got our own world, our own bubble, our own culture when we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. We're supposed to know these people and have relationships with these people. The reason we have no influence is because we aren't engaged. We don't have their ear. We don't have their attention, but a lot of the other special interest groups do. They're not hearing from us witnessing to them, Peter and John, Paul went all the way to Rome. God, by the way, gave him opportunity. Because why? Paul was somebody who would. You say, well, pastor, you know, I just don't think I could do that. Well, what if God gave you the opportunity? Would you? What if you bumped into John Decker at the mustard seed? Dave Belden and I had the opportunity to meet him the other day. He just happened to be eating in there when we were eating in there. What if that happened to you? Would you be ready to witness, to invite, to ask if there's something you can do to just be a blessing to him, somebody who's willing to put themselves in the public spotlight and run for a public office and have the media tear apart his life and everything else that goes with it. So these are things that we can observe that the early church did, and so let's let's turn it back again now. I'm going to get a little more practical. Here's that verse of scripture. I want you to say here from Timothy those yellow words in yellow with me, okay? So as we go through this passage, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. When we go back, let me review. I'm going to get a little more practical here. We've already done paying our taxes. We've done giving honor and respect, loving, praying for them. Witnessing to them. How about volunteering where and when when, is, when when possible? There's all kinds of volunteer opportunities. You say, Pastor, you know my life it's so crazy. I know. As a pastor, I understand that. And I understand that church has a lot going on. You got stuff on Sunday and stuff on Wednesday and stuff on Friday. If you came to me and said, Pastor, God is leading me to go to that town council meeting in my town one Wednesday a month. So I can report to our church the issues going on. Do you know what I would say as a pastor? Praise God. Have at it. I wouldn't say, oh my goodness, you're missing a prayer meeting. Shame on you. Because we need to engage. If you came to me and said, pastor, on Tuesdays, uh, on Tuesdays I'm going to go to the Board of Ed meetings. You know, so I'm not going to be able to be on Wednesday because maybe they're every Tuesday. Listen, if you're doing something for God, and he's impressed that upon your heart, then I'm not gonna stand in the way of that. But I am gonna I am gonna stand in the way and forgive me for picking on it if you sit at home and play Farmville and it posts on my Facebook page. I mean we need to we need to care about our country. We can play all kinds of video games for hours. when there's opportunities to volunteer where and when, when possible. Clean-up days. By attending meetings to bring awareness to the church of the issues and policies in government. Hey, talk about them in public. You can even get it on your cable station. You can, go to the, you can go to the town hall if you can't make it and get the minutes and read what happened. I mean, sometimes decisions are made and we don't know because why? We're not engaged. We don't have, we don't have a representative there we don't have somebody taking the holy spirit of god with them into those places by inviting them to your home to your church to your events and we need to love them don't we don't we need to pray for them don't we need to engage with them The disciples throughout history were never afraid to do that as God gave them opportunity. I mean, I think of men like Martin Luther when the church and the politics became one and the same. Roman Catholic Church dominated. I mean, they were the government. And yet you had Christians who were willing to be Bible-believing, Bible-practicing Christians who weren't afraid to say, that's who I am. I believe this book. And here's why I think you ought to too. So today, will you get engaged for Christ's sake? I could have said for, for your nation's sake. I could have said for your children's sake. When it comes right down to it, it's because Jesus Christ became poor for you so that you could be rich, that we ought to extend the same to those who serve our country in government. I know this wasn't a message geared toward people who may not be believers It was a challenge to us today as Christians when we think about voting for God, we need to look at our lives and say, how am I doing in my biblical response to my government officials? Anybody can complain. Anybody can find a law they don't like. But if we're going to be biblical, then we ought to go home and ask ourselves how I can express love and how I can include them in my prayer. At least... Those two things. And maybe God would lead you to do more. I'd be glad if somebody from our church said, Pastor, I'll go to that town council meeting, or I'll go to that board of ed meeting. I'll at least listen so I can report on some of the decisions being made that affect our children who go to the public schools. I'll go to that glad meeting where we have in town here an organization to try to reduce underage drinking and alcohol abuse our alcohol abuse and and drug abuse in town, among our teens. Citizens get to dictate $85,000 a year in grant money. There was one meeting, I was the only person there, I got to decide where $15,000 was spent. I was the only Glastonbury citizen there. Total volunteer position, one hour a month. We're not going to be able to stand in front of God guiltless, are we? He's told us. Giving us examples Jesus himself wasn't afraid to engage the rulers of his day we ought not be either Father I pray today that as you speak and work in our hearts and in our lives that God you would impress upon us our need to be involved it's not just about going and checking a box every first week of November and thinking I've done my duty as a good citizen But God, we need to love those who are in authority over us. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to accept their policies and agree with their decisions and choices. But we do need to love them, and we do need to pray for them. So God, I pray that you would convict us of that need today. Lord, I know I didn't preach about a salvation message, but we had songs that expressed that in Scriptures that expressed who You are and what You've done for us. Lord, if there's somebody here today who doesn't have their personal faith and trust in You and is repentant of their sin, I pray today they would do that. If there's somebody who needs to be baptized, I pray today that Your Holy Spirit would convict them to obey You. Do what You want them to do with the Word of God, not what the pastor says, what the Word of God says. Because we stand and fall front of you. You are the one that we will answer to. And you will be just. And you will be holy. And you will be good. And you will be gracious. And you will be merciful. And our nation truly does stand at a precipice. And we face a decision not about who to put in office, but about whether we'll turn our back on God or not. So God, would you help us as believers to be stirred to action, to engage. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.